following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. So I was planning to finish up our series in 1 John this week, uh, but I decided there's one item that kind of we land on at the very end of John's letter that I'll comment briefly on this morning. This is the plan. And then next week, talk about it further. And, and God willing, next week will be the last of this series. I personally have found this journey through First John difficult. I find this letter... Uh, I went in, having read it many times before, with a, a feeling of it was kind of going to be a warm and gushy kind of experience when actually it's quite hard hitting. John's very concerned that there are those who were part of his uh, large community of, of several churches, uh, that there were several people that had been part of them, that went out and, and began to spread lies. And these same people began strongly influencing the people that were still part of the community. And to use a technical term, they were really messing the people up. They were confusing them, uh, disrupting their faith, which is a very, very serious thing. Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. Anyone who makes one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for them to have a millstone wrapped around their neck, tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. Be very, very careful about disrupting people's faith. Now, some people think the way we don't disrupt people's faith is we basically don't say anything to them and kind of just let them be. But uh, that's not kind, that's not loving either. We need to help each other stay on the narrow path that the Lord calls us to. We need to uh, possess a genuine faith in the genuine God and the genuine Messiah and then live out that faith in a genuine way. And sadly, since the first century till today, and very much so today, there are versions of Jesus that aren't Jesus. There's teachings based on the Bible that are not from the Bible. And it's actually becoming more and more popular today, I'm, I'm sorry to say. There's this uh, rising thing called progressive Christianity that claims to be true to Scripture that in as a humble opinion as I can have, is not based on scripture at all, that it is full of lies. And it's, it's basically telling people that there's so much of scripture that doesn't apply today. Now, there are parts of scripture that uh, are specifically for the people of the day in which it was written. But even there, there are so many implications and principles to de be derived from all of scripture and so we need to take a stand against teaching that is disrupting the lives of people and sending them down courses that are actually quite destructive. John had that burden, and I have that burden today. But to bring up these things is not comfortable, but they're necessary. So let's continue on in 1 John chapter 5. We're picking it up at verse 13, having... Uh, finished up verse 12 last week. And what we have here in verse 13 is most likely the main purpose statement of the entire letter. John writes, 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Their their faith had been uh, um, disrupted, and that's a better word, um, disturbed. The people had become confused. And we know a lot of people struggle with this, this thing we call assurance of salvation. We purport to believe in Jesus. We believe that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. We have a sense of the love of God in our hearts, his love for us and our love for him. And yet we wonder, are we secure in his love? Will we have confidence in the day of judgment? Is God really with me today? Many of us have these concerns and these concerns were particularly on the minds of John's community and in their case mainly because of the disruptive nature of the false teachers. So so John says, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Last week and at other times I've tried to explain that this concept, this concept in the Bible of eternal life is not code simply for going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is a quality of life that is, we might call it, the life of God. The God the, the, a, a life that is um, saturated with eternity. It's, it's, a, it's a life of, of no end. It's a life that has no death in it unlike the life that we all experience that's full of death, actually, and all of the terrible fruits of death, including sickness and fear. But eternal life is full of joy. It's full of expectation. It's, it's, it's full of confidence, and it's full of God. And when we come to know Jesus, we experience eternal life now, We become filled with the Holy Spirit, the life of God. Eternal life actually fills our very beings. And then that life is not only to saturate our beings, but then flow out from us to others. And then it continues on even when these bodies decay or when the Lord returns. And if we truly know him, that eternal life that we now have as an inheritance from God continues on forever. But it's not just about the forever. It's about the now until the forever and ever. And, but who are those that can know? And, and know is not just, ah, got it in my mind. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, check the box. Biblical knowing is experiential knowing that you may know that you have eternal life, experience that life. And I know our experience of God in this time before the Lord's return is never uh, completely full. It's never perfect, but it's substantial. It should be substantial. Who are those who may experience this God life but those who have put their trust in the name of the Son of God. 
John has taken his painstakingly repeated over and over again that Son of God is not just a concept. It's the, a true, the true being, the Son of God, who became a true man in the Lord Jesus, who really died on the cross for our sins and really and bodily uh, came back to life on the third day. And when we put our trust in Him, we can really, really know now that we have eternal life. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. So here's a... uh, and a living out of the assurance that we have in Him. If we know we have eternal life, that is, we know that we have become saturated with God Himself, then the gates of communication with Him are open to us. And it's not so that our prayer life is not a, I wish I may, I wish I might upon this star tonight. I wonder how many times for us prayers are like things we throw up to the sky and maybe, maybe perhaps we get lucky and God answers some of our prayers. That's not the life of the true, that's not the prayer life of the true believer. The prayer life of the true believer is an intimate relationship with God that is full of communication with Him, both speaking and listening. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer line to God that is open, where God is accessible, and we don't cower and wonder and wish that perhaps He might listen to us. As it says in the book of Hebrews that because of what Jesus has done, we can go boldly before His throne of grace. We can, we're His children. We don't have to wonder if His, if his throne is open to us. We can just go right in and, and share our deepest burdens with our Heavenly Father, knowing that He is more than glad to listen to us. Now, one can get the impression in verse 15 that any prayer at all that we ever utter to God, He's just going to give us exactly what we want. I'll read it again. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Well, John knows that God's not a vending machine where you just plug in the right prayers and then the right answers come uh, drop to the bottom. He, he knows that's not how prayer wor- works. Even Jesus himself wanted to be spared from the suffering on the cross when he prayed in Gethsemane. And then he grappled with that and accepted the will of God. Prayer has this dynamic of grappling with God, knowing that He hears us, knowing that He answers us, knowing that He'll correct us, knowing that He'll He'll shift us in, in, in the right direction. But this idea of having the request is more along the line of we know that if we truly know Him, then our priorities are God's priorities, that our values are God's values, that As we get to know Him, that which is a burden on our hearts are actually the burdens of God. And so then when we come before Him, we're in communion and fellowship with Him. And and in that place, in that relationship with Him, 
We are having the conversation of a father with a son or daughter. Now I know many of us have had parents that the answer was always no first. And then maybe it was yes. And so maybe we find ourselves uh, inhibited, afraid of asking God. I've met people that have this thing, well, I, I don't really want to bother God with this, that, on the other thing. But if it's on your heart, pray it to God. There's nothing that you cannot share with Him. And He doesn't mind saying no when it's for our good. I, I have a, my confession about my prayer, I have a problem when I pray. I tend to pray in multiple choice. Oh God, I have this issue. I need your help. Do you want to do this? Or do you want to do that? Do you want to do the other thing or none of the above? I'm sure he's very grateful that I make it easy on him. And then I catch what I'm doing. That's ridiculous. Who am I to even come up with potential answers to my prayers? Also, you know, this thing about praying God's will. Uh, Often we we have on our hearts... um, you know, we're praying for people's salvation. We're praying for people's healing. We know these things don't always work out the way we want, but God's heart is to save people. God's heart is to heal people. God's heart is to help people. God's heart is to speak to people. God's heart is, is to save marriages. God's heart is that the babies would not be aborted. God's heart is that we'd have righteous government. God's heart, and so on. And very rarely do we ever have an experience like Jeremiah where God says, stop, enough, too late, we're doing this. The right heart is to pray for his mercy. It's that's his will, for his love, that's his will, for his restoration, that's his will. And let's just share our hearts before God in confidence and then let him speak to us. And then this brings us to a very interesting, um, maybe confusing Example of prayer. Verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that, that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, in John, it's very clear as it is in the whole Bible, that if anyone continues in serious sin, they have no right to claim that they are children of God. If anyone habitually commits serious sin, and yet they say that they believe in Jesus, they are hypocrites, they are liars, they are phonies. But as a matter of course, we all sin. We dealt with that at the beginning of chapter 1. It's part of our normal confession. That as we go through life, we all, if I may say, blow it all the time. We mess up. We do that. And because of what Jesus has done, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we go around thinking that we never sin and claim that we never sin, John says in chapter 1, we're liars and the truth is not in us. And so we need to regularly confess our sins. But on the other hand, there is sin that leads to death. We all struggle 
We struggle with trying to do right, and we often fail. And so we need to be praying for one another. And when we know a brother or sister that's seriously struggling with sin, we should pray for them, that God would restore them. But if people are committing serious, leading-to-death kind of sin, they need to repent, or else they will meet their doom. Similar to what Robin was sharing in the kids' message. And we didn't collude at all. Robin didn't know that I was going to be uh, sharing these things necessarily. There is sin that leads to death. Revelation 21, verses 7 to 8. It's it's further down in, in the passage Robin was reading earlier. Revelation 21, 7 to 8. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It doesn't matter how much we spout faith and sing the songs and go to the meetings. If we're on this list, we're in very big trouble. Is there hope for these people? Well, I hope so. But their only hope is by repenting, honestly, sincerely, and truly repenting, pleading for mercy to the Lord, and looking to Him for restoration and salvation. But, brothers and sisters, it's time we take sin seriously. It says in verse 18, We know that everyone who's been born of God, the true believer that is, does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So if we're truly God's children, we hate sin. And I know we will dabble in sin, but we will truly feel bad after. Not that feeling of guilt, oh, I hope I don't get caught. But the real kind of, of, of feeling bad that leads us to repentance. For the one who excuses him or herself because of our nobody's perfect, that person is in big trouble. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Notice there is, we can have assurance within an environment of hostility. The world lies in the power of the evil one. When are we going to accept that that's true? Do we believe that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one? Now, the Bible, I'm grateful, is full of what we call nuance. It's complex. We started the service by singing, This is my Father's world. And there is great truth in that. When John, St. John, in his Gospel, chapter 3, says, For God so loved the world... He's speaking about the created order that God made, that God is in the business of restoring. And if we trust in his son, according to John 3.16, we will not perish but have eternal life. But the world that God made has been tainted by sin and by evil. We live in enemy territory. 
And as Robin said in her kids' message, and she shared it with me yesterday uh, afternoon, and I found it yet again another uncomfortable message, is true. There are two teams, God's team and Satan's team. God loves all people, but if people do not turn to him, they will perish. And yet, one of the things that we have been seeing in our day is believers entrusting themselves to the world. And that should greatly concern us. Since when is the, does the media tell us the truth? Since when do our government leaders stand for truth and for life. Since when? It's been a long time. And those that do are far between. There was an opportunity in our parliament to do one little thing about saving babies. And it was a bill that would forbid what's called sex-selective abortion. It would make it illegal, even though, well, I don't know whether to call abortion legal or what because there's no laws against abortion in our country at all, which we should be ashamed of. Second, so, and not second, but so this law would say if the reason why somebody wanted to abort a baby was for the sole purpose of the baby's sex, I don't want a girl, I don't want a boy, that would be illegal. And from what we understand, the vast majority of Canadians, whether it makes a difference, is also against sex-selective abortion. And yet, our parliament voted against that bill. And yet, then we trust them with our health? Now, they might be right, but not on the virtue of who they are. Do they have our best interest in mind? Should we respect them? Yes. Should we obey our authorities within the limits that God has imposed? Which that was a loaded statement I just said. Yes. But are there limits to how we're supposed to listen to our government according to the Bible? Yes. This week, uh, my Thinking Biblically podcast will talk about that if you're interested. We are a generation away from a time in the world where governments were telling people it was okay to gas and burn undesirables. Have we learned the lesson? Christians went along with this horrific plan. Christians claimed they didn't know, but many of them didn't take the time to find out, even when there were these real serious inklings saying something was amiss. And so we say never again, but have we learned the lesson or are we again going to be like sheep? As pastor of this church, I will never lead people that Follow me down a road like that, at least not intentionally. I am going to do my homework 
and I will give my life for the truth. 45 years ago, Friday, God invaded my life and completely changed me. I'm still a work in progress. I have been too quiet with what's been happening in our society and watching my brothers and sisters, leaders among them, say nothing as government is seeking to control our lives. Our government is not godly. And so where should our trust be? Again, we should respect them and within the limits of what is right, we should obey them. But where's our trust? Do we follow science or do we follow Jesus? And when science agrees with Jesus, I'm good. But if science diverges from Jesus and his word, I'm going to follow Jesus. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I mentioned, was it here or somewhere else? I think it was here, about being too heavenly minded, there were no earthly good. I think it was here. And I know what that means. There are some people that seem to spout such, such spirituality that they're good for nothing in terms of how they actually live their lives. But the way to be truly earthly good is to be truly heavenly minded. And that's where our minds need to be. Filled with God's word. Entrusting ourselves to him. Living like people who are going to live forever. And if you know me, that's a hard one for me. When I came to the Lord, September the 3rd, 1976, I was terrified of dying. I'd become scared of my own shadow. And fear has continued to be uh, like a demon on my back that I have to beat down. But I don't want to be that person. And we're living in a day of fear. And yet God's people are supposed to be people of faith and confidence who know where we're going, who are actually willing to risk death for others. I want to be that person. I don't know if I'm in that place yet, but that is where I want to go. And then John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And it's like, he hasn't been talking about idols in the entire book. And all of a sudden, it's kind of, boom, little children, keep yourself from idols. What is that about? Well, it actually is the climax of the whole letter. Are we going to follow the phony? Are we going to be fakes? Or are we going to be people who abide in the true God and in his truth and in his reality and live accordingly even if everybody else thinks we're crazy? Well, it's this verse, little children, keep yourself from idols that I want to spend more time in and we're going to do that God willing next week. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are so gracious that in the midst of darkness and lies, you have given us your truth. 
Father, forgive us for being afraid to walk according to your light. Show us, Father, where we have given in to the pressure around us. And may we be people who truly follow you and call others into your glorious light to be people of eternal life and be your emissaries to rescue people from the darkness and from hell. Thank you for preserving us in these days. Show us, Lord, how to be people of your word and not people of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.